Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. You know, I, I don't really get into fads. I kind of tailor it based on that. But I, I know the foods that tend to be more inflammatory based on people's symptoms. And I try to guide them away from that. And it's baby steps. You know, you know, so, you know, you're not going to do this overnight. You know what I mean? It may take you time to get to that point. But almost every patient in my practice, when they change the way they eat, I would say that's the biggest impact in their health and physiology. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. Pablo, welcome to She. Hey, great. How are you? Good. How are you? It's so fun to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm doing good today. Good, good, good. Well, you guys, for everyone listening, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. Dr. Pablo has walked really alongside of me for the last, how long has it been now? Like a year and a half, probably a little less than a year and a half. Just through our journey, I was referred to him by a friend after our first loss, and he has really helped me dig into a lot of answers with my health and been a huge guide. So I'm excited for you to hear all the wisdom and just information he's going to share. But before we dive in, Dr. Pablo, can you share a little bit about your background, how you got started in functional medicine, and what your journey was like getting to where you are now? Oh, absolutely. Um, So... I went to IU School of Medicine, and then I trained at St. Vincent's here in Indianapolis. was an emergency room physician, still am, for 19 years. Mm-hmm. And in the emergency department, I would see a lot of, obviously, a lot of acute care stuff, which mm-hmm. was uh, easily manageable. But I saw a lot of chronic issues that never got better. Women with a lot of gut problems, IBS, multiple CT scans, no one finding the answer, and you know other chronic issues. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way to figure this out rather than just throwing a med at them and sending them out. Mm-hmm. So I think that and some personal family members that had some illnesses and and finding root causes. And then that that's where my journey started. Hmm. So can you explain a little bit about what functional medicine is and how it differs from traditional medicine? Because I personally really love that you have a background in traditional medicine, because I feel like you do a really good job of kind of blending these two things without villainizing one or the other. But I would love if you could share a little bit about what makes functional medicine, what it is and how it's different. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I think coming from the medicine background, it gives you a really good overview of anatomy, physiology, and all the stuff you learn and train. And it gives you a good layer of how to diagnose and recognize uh, certain conditions. But um, so functional medicine really is where you're trying to find root cause problems for people working upstream. So you have a subset of symptoms that come in and instead of just saying, oh, 
you have these symptoms, let's try these medications and to appease these symptoms, mm-hmm. let's answer the why. why. Why do I have hypertension, doctor? Why do I have type 2 diabetes? Why do I have infertility? Mm-hmm. And then continue to work upstream and continue and continue to absolutely find maybe the one or two root causes that, if addressed, could alleviate four or five symptoms way out here. Yeah. And from my understanding too, I think at least with the work that we've done together, it's not that functional medicine is completely against all modern treatments. It's just not, not settling for that as the, the ultimate solution. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's absolutely right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with medication short term. You know, if somebody mm-hmm. came in an emergency department with a blood pressure of 200, mm-hmm. why not give them an avocado and send them on their way? Right. <laughs> I'm going to give them some IV medication and then maybe even discharge them on medicine because that's management of acute stroke care. You know, they'll Mm -hmm. have a stroke otherwise. So you manage their symptoms, you get it under control so they can be functional and then they're safe. Mm -hmm. And then you've got time to figure out the why. Now, that's where things different because in traditional medicine, sometimes we just stop at the medicine and say, oh, you have a blood pressure problems. You just need to take this medicine the rest of your life. And in functional medicine, we don't all necessarily accept that. We're like, there could be secondary causes that if we peel that away, Mm -hmm. their hypertension could go away. Mm -hmm. So we keep them on the medicine, find the underlying causes, and then in a good medical management, help them wean them off the medication if appropriate. Mm -hmm and get them better. Mm, It's so, it's so good. I just, I love that kind of hybrid approach in a very holistic Mm -hmm. way. You know, a lot of people get functional or integrative medicine confused with holistic or alternative medicine. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between the two? And if so, can you help us understand that? Yeah. So I like to think functional and integrated care is still another branch of medicine. You know, we Mm -hmm. do still heavy into biochemistry, physiology, testing, and really following the scientific method to so patients can actually sit in the room and then just saying, hey, you have this, and this is why you have this. Here's the pathways. Mm-hmm. And the alternative holistic tend to use more techniques like chiropractic care, acupuncture, mm-hmm. which you know might be mysterious to some people, but absolutely still have validity mm-hmm. in their in their own rights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not putting any of them down, but they tend to be more driven by mortalities and, and this kind of maybe not scientific principle more on the fringe sometimes, and but still very valid in, in many cases. Um, but I think that's kind of where maybe some of the differences are. So I, I like to say that we don't practice holistic alternative care. We practice just good medicine. But mm-hmm. what we're doing is practicing on the microscopic level where we're looking at cellular function, enzymatic reactions, actually looking at the biochemistry rather than looking at a subset of symptoms and practicing mm-hmm. macroscopic medicine. You know, you come in with bloating mm-hmm. and have abdominal pain. Oh, you have IBS here. Take this medicine. No. Mm-hmm a subset of symptoms that make me want to go upstream and actually look at your biochemistry. Now let's look at your gut bio. Mm -hmm. Let's look at, do you have leaky gut? So, you know, that's probably the most difference, but there is quite a bit of overlap in the middle too, uh, between Mm -hmm. those modalities, but Mm -hmm. that's how I I would best say it. That's really helpful. A really good distinction. Um, You just touched on gut health. And so I want to go there because this was something that when you first said it to me, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was like, this sounds way out there. Like really? Mm -hmm. Okay. It it can be hard when it's not something you're familiar with. And so can you explain what the term gut health refers to? What does it mean? And how does it really affect the body? Why does the gut matter? Yeah. So the gut probably affects every system in the body. And, And the reason being is that you know, our gut, you know, and that can be anywhere from your mouth, your esophagus, your stomach, small bowel, large bowel, 
it's full of all kinds of important things. One being healthy bacteria, what we call the gut biome. Mm. And we have trillions of bacteria. We also have trillions of cells. Some people think that we have more cells than bacteria. That's a little debatable. Mm. But nonetheless, we have enough bacteria in our gut that's equivalent to the number of cells we have in our body. And those bacteria are vital to help break our nutrition down, help us absorb uh, nutrients. It has to do with our immune system. A lot of our lymph nodes are surrounding the GI tract. So Mm -hmm. if the gut is under stress and inflammation, it overactivates the immune system. And some people think that that's where autoimmune diseases come from. Mm -hmm. Neurotransmitters in your brain, they all come from amino acids. Well, amino acids come from proteins, which have to come from your GI tract. So your gut is important, not only because it helps with the function, it's also the gateway of how nutrition gets into your body. And then obviously, it's important in how we eliminate toxins out of our body as well. So that's that's kind of a, uh, a thing in a nutshell. Uh, the, pro- the point is, is that if your gut isn't functioning right, you just don't feel well, not just mm-hmm. abdominal issues, but you have a lot of other issues like fatigue, joint pain, hair loss, acne. I mean, the list goes on and on related to the gut. So that that's uh, essentially what why mm-hmm. the gut is important to the body because it affects so many systems. Yeah, it's so crazy and so interesting. Um, but I'm curious if someone's listening to this and they're wondering, you know, well, I probably don't have gut problems because I, I don't get sick or you know, you just highlighted the fact that it can come in a variety of different symptoms mm. that a lot of times boil down to that being a root cause. But mm. what it, what can actually cause gut problems to develop? Is it is it based on what you eat? Is it stress? Is it is there a mm-hmm. cause or a co- couple of common causes that can affect your gut health? Yeah, so there's quite a bit of causes, and, and it all starts from you know when you're younger. We, we create a timeline. We all were you breastfed? Did you get multiple antibiotics throughout your life? So antibiotics tend to based on the type of antibiotics. Some are narrow spectrum, some are broad spectrum. Well, the broad spectrum antibiotics not only kill the bad guys, but they kill the good guys in your gut. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you kill the good guys, that's when you start getting dysbiosis or the loss of healthy guys. Well, then you get the overgrowth of bad guys. So and you mentioned stress, absolutely. Stress causes a release of cortisol, release of other substances like epinephrine, norepinephrine, and that causes a change in your microbiome. Inflammatory foods, you mentioned that, eating the wrong foods, they can actually deteriorate the lining of the GI tract and cause what we call uh, leaky gut or, or gut permeability. And then now you've got toxins and uh, and large protein molecules leaking into your blood that's going to cause further immune reaction. Mm-hmm. So it's it's basically an accumulation of a multiple different insults, but really uh, I would say the big three stress antibiotics and toxins and infl- inflammatory foods, excuse me, are probably the bigger uh, reasons why people would uh, develop gut dysbiosis. Huh. Okay. So can you clarify what does it mean? What does inflammatory food mean? Because I I try to be careful not to say, you know, this is like to, I try to take a grace-based approach, right? You know this. But when we talk about inflammatory foods, what is inflammatory to our gut? And if we have too much of it can cause Mm -hmm. issues in our gut. So, you know, when, when I say inflammatory foods, you can look at foods from a couple different ways. You can look at the most common foods that can lead to a problem. And those tend to be dairy, eggs, highly antigenic foods. So, But if you look at it from, let's say I'm doing a food uh, testing on you, there's two categories that we really look at is IgE, which are true food allergies. Okay, now you can do that through a skin prick test where you introduce the allergen on your skin and you look for a response in the skin. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at blood IgE levels called RAS testing. Mm -hmm. And so that is definitely 
uh, if you're elevated IG, that would mean that if you ate that food, consumed it, you would have an allergic response. And that could be anywhere from itching all the way to hives, all the way to swelling to your lips to tongue. That's a true food allergy. And, and extreme forms of it is called anaphylaxis. And we see that in the emergency department. Those are life-threatening allergens. And that is, those are the kids and the young adults and that would walk around with EpiPens and inject themselves with that to protect themselves. Then there's a more insidious kind of hidden kind of inflammatory foods. And those are the IgG. Okay. And those for food intolerances. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the literature between what it does IgG really impact your body, but it does. And that's something like maybe a gluten sensitivity that you would eat. And you might not get a skin reaction, mm-hmm. but you might get bloating and joint pain and fatigue and hair loss and acne. And you, and you don't attribute that to a food allergy. So that's why intolerances are, are more important, but they're harder to to really determine if you have that based on your symptoms, because the symptoms could be days later right. and they're not classic allergic type response. You know, everybody understands that, look, if I eat a peanut and then 30 minutes later or a few minutes later, I break out into hives and itches. Well, you can attribute that to right. eating peanut, but the other ones are, like I said, are, are important as well. And that's kind of what I mean by inflammatory foods in a nutshell. We're looking at those two antibody classes. Yeah. Really interesting. I mean, I remember when I found out I had a gluten sensitivity or intolerance, or it was mm-hmm. IgG, right? So it wasn't, and then that's why I never caught it before because I would eat bread or pasta or whatever, and I would be fine, meaning I didn't mm-hmm. go get sick five minutes later or I didn't break out hives. But when we started removing that, I realized, oh, wow, I'm not feeling as bloated as I usually am. And I haven't had nearly as much breakouts as I usually have. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it, I saw a massive mm-hmm. improvement and that was where I finally understood it doesn't always look like an immediate allergic reaction. And that's really interesting. Okay. So another question that I have is what are some of the most common gut health issues you see in patients? You would explain leaky gut. Is that the most common or are there others that are pretty common as well? Probably the most common one we see is just classic reflux. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People come with heartburn symptoms all the time. Then there's loading that people have. They have abdominal cramping. And then they have sometimes issues with constipation, diarrhea. And, you know, sometimes if you have a lot of those together, we kind of group that into what is called IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would throw all that in there. There's isolated reflux. There's what we call SIBO now where that's where the bacteria, the, even the healthy bacteria, that are supposed to be in your colon or your large bowel actually move up into your small bowel Mm. and start fermenting foods and causing release of toxins like soon as you get eating and your bloating can be immediate. So I would say those are it. Now, we also see the classic inflammatory bowel disease, which is like Crohn's, colitis, ulcerative colitis. And those are, you know, one step more where there's so much inflammation in the lining and there's an autoimmune component to that where it's actually causing GI bleeding and and, and you can get, you wind up having strictures and narrowing and even needing surgery at times. And, 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 and actually, the inflammation, if it's long-standing, can lead to colon cancer. Wow. Okay. Wow. Oh, that's a lot. And I'm, I'm curious, how does one diagnose that? You had talked about getting to root causes. And if, you know, if someone might be skeptical of, maybe I have something going on with my gut, how do you actually find if it's IBS or if it's leaky gut or if it's just an overgrowth of you know, bad bacteria? Like, How do you de- determine the severity of that? Is that through like a scan or a test? I would love if you can share kind of what that process looks like. Yeah, so there's several ways. So from the testing standpoint, we do a couple of different things. We can do a very detailed stool analysis. And this is not the same 
stool analysis, like if you go see your family doctor and they just make sure you don't have a parasite, this is an extensive genetic analysis of your stool where we're looking at, okay, what type of healthy bacteria do you have or have you lost? What species have you lost? And is there an overgrowth of bad guys? And there's really two kinds of bad guys. One are bad guys that should never be there, like a parasite or like a dangerous bacteria like Shigella. Okay, and then there's guys in the middle that are only potentially pathogenic when they're in high numbers like Candida and Clostridia, Mm -hmm. which in low numbers are actually part of the gut flora. Right. Mm -hmm. So I look at those three categories and we can tell that with all of our testing. Now, we can also look at pancreatic function with stool analysis. We can look at gallbladder function and then the organic acid test, which is a urine test. Mm -hmm. We can pick up chemicals that these bad guys are producing in your gut, like, for example, an organic acid called arabinose is produced by excessive candida growth and that will show up in your urine as a high concentration of arabinose and that's reflective of in the context of a clinical picture i have bloating all the time i feel tired fatigue brain fog and then you have high arabinose now you've got another data point that helps you guide you down the fact that yes you've got an overgrowth of candida and sometimes that can be sometimes you can have overgrowth of clostridia so there so there's absolutely testing that we can do to help patients understand objectively mm-hmm. what we find and at the end of the day we can also we can also do colonoscopies right so colonoscopies is a direct visual uh, visualization and we can take biopsies for example you can do all this testing for uh, celiac disease which is severe gluten allergy right or intolerance excuse me mm-hmm. and And if you want to confirm it, you do a colonoscopy and we actually biopsy the lining of the colon, look at the tissue on the microscope. And by that, by the histological changes in the tissue, we can make a determination. Oh, yes, you have celiac disease. So, you know, all the traditional diagnostic tests we have available and some really cool technology that we have available from like stool analysis to organic acid testing and even obviously doing food allergy intolerance tests. You have symptoms. We're always going to try to tell you what foods to avoid. And so between those, we we usually can pin it down. And then obviously a good clinical exam, right? You want to get a good history from the patient Mm -hmm. in a timeline. Did they have recurrent antibiotics? You know, so when you tie all that data together, you have you feel confident as a physician that this is what they have. So interesting. And it is so involved. I mean, it really is a process and getting to the root cause doesn't happen immediately. And I think that's sometimes what can be challenging about it as both a physician and a patient, but also it creates a longer term sustainable solution and it's worth it at the end of the day. And I know, so for context, I mean, I'd mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, but the, uh, the initial reason that I came to you was because we had a miscarriage at like seven Mm -hmm. and a half, almost eight weeks. And I, you know, me, I'm stubborn and I don't just accept like it happens as an answer. And so I was like, I need someone to help me make sure there's nothing really concerning going on. And Mm -hmm. I came into the office and you had walked me through, you know, a variety of different causes and what we could rule out based off of clues Mm -hmm. and all of that. So because that was kind of the initial reason I started this journey through functional medicine, I'm curious if you can share how gut health can specifically be related to fertility or fertility issues, whether that's infertility or recurrent miscarriage or anything related to reproductive health. Yeah, absolutely. So first thing being is if you've got gut dysbiosis and say you've got leaky gut and you have a lot of toxins that could be leaching in your blood, well, that can affect your ovarian pituitary axis. So that's one way. Remember, majority of your lymph nodes are in your GI tract called Peyer's patches in your terminal ileum. They're sampling this chronic inflammation and then they're releasing chemical uh, messengers called cytokines. Well, cytokines put your body in a state of inflammation. And when you're trying 
conceive, you don't want to be in an inflammatory state. So that can lead to miscarriages. There's a lot of articles and research on that data. Number two, uh, there's micronutrients that are very important that you need to conceive, like zinc, that selenium. You've got the B vitamins. And if your gut is inflamed and you're not able to absorb those micronutrients, right? So therefore, you can't have the optimal um, nutrition in your body to conceive. And, you know, as our society has progressed in the last 20 years, infertility is becoming more and more uncommon. And, you know, almost 25, 30% of people trying to conceive are having problems. Um, some data even says it's higher than that. The other way it really does is uh, people with PCOS and estrogen dominance. So think about that. So your body makes estrogen, okay? It does its job and then the body has to get rid of it, okay? Well, it goes to the liver, the liver phase one will activate the estrogen, says, okay, I have to hydroxylate or activate it. Then it throws it over to phase two, and then the body then binds something to it, like another molecule, and then your body actually excretes it out through the bile into your GI tract. Now, here it is going all the way down in your colon to be ready to be excreted, and then the bad guys start attacking that bound estrogen and unbind it. And once it's unbound by certain enzymes that these bacteria produce, that estrogen is reabsorbed back in the body at the terminal ileum. And now you it's like you threw your garbage out and then somebody went right back into the other door, back into your house. Oh, interesting. So then how do you get it out? <laughs> what do you do? You get an estrogen dominance, so the body's like, wait a minute, did I just throw this estrogen molecule out? How did it wind up coming back in here? This is why the gut is so important to fertility, not only because of the other three or four things I told you, in the process of detoxification and liver detox, mm -hmm. it's sometimes these toxins get reabsorbed back. That's why sometimes we'll put people on gut binders, so it tries to break that, unconjugate that estrogen, but the gut binder binds it, whether it's diametaceous earth or, you know, bentonite clay or activated charcoal, and it doesn't allow it to go back in circulation, and then you eliminate it in your stool. So there's all these techniques. So it is absolutely vital to make sure your liver is clean and your GI system is clean. Otherwise, it absolutely will impact your fertility. It's so crazy to me how this, I mean, it's, it makes complete sense how it's all tied together. And you've taught me this before, but hearing it again, I'm always like, ah, it's so interesting. I feel like I get like super nerdy and I love it. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, a luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. <laughs> 
Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Okay, so you touched on the estrogen aspect and I was going to ask about hormone production and metabolism specifically. Mm -hmm. So can we expand on that a little bit, especially because... One issue that I've shared with my community and that you and I have kind of dug into is thyroid-related stuff and hormone production and metabolism, like all of that being interconnected. So can Mm -hmm. you dig into how the gut can affect not only hormone production, you had talked a little bit about hormone excretion, but the production side of things as well as how it's metabolized? Well, a couple of things. Well, if, first of all, if the gut is under inflammation, you get inflammatory mediators. So think about it. Your body is saying, okay, I'm on survival mode, so I'm not going to want to reproduce at this time. So if you've got a lot of infl- inflammatory mo- markers and it overactivates your immune system, you can produce antibodies against your own thyroid, autoantibodies, and you can get what's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of debate in the literature exactly what the underlying cause is. And, and then if you suppress your TSH, and then you become hypothyroid, well, that will absolutely impact your ability to get pregnant. And even in that, as you know, even in the normal thyroid range, it's a big range of what normal is, but that's not the optimal. And as you know, most integrative guys want your TSH below two, even though four and a half is acceptable. Mm -hmm. We still know that if you get it around two, your outcome of of getting pregnant, pregnancy is increased. So that's probably the biggest way it affects it. When you have inflammatory issues going on, it's very disruptive to the normal pituitary trying to talk to the ovarian axis. And that's probably the biggest thing that it does. Now, there's also hormones that can be produced in in not the right amount. For example, 
progesterone. You're supposed to have high progesterone in the last part of your cycle, day 14 to 28. And if you don't have high progesterone, you can't support pregnancy. So, And then there's hormones that because of inflammation or a small tumor in the brain called pituitary adenoma produces too much prolactin. Well, prolactin prevents you from getting pregnant too. So there's hormones that play a vital role but you're once again, if your gut is not in alignment and remember, it's the gateway and you're getting all these toxins and inflammation that's hitting your body, it, it really messes things up. And the th- other way is think about most pesticides, herbicides, they're ring structures. Well, if you look at estrogen, it's a ring structure. So these pesticide herbicides are called xenoestrogens. And so are BAs. I was about to ask about that. <laughs> right? Keep going. And I was about to ask about it. You're absolutely right. You've asked me that before. And these mimic estrogen in the body. Well, they're going to bind to an estrogenic receptor. And then that's going to trick the body. Think, oh, I've got all this estrogen around. Now, once again, you've got estrogen dominance again, which can cause problems. So these external estrogens are bad. That's another way, I believe, why infertility rates are so high. I think with all the modern great convenience we have, we've also created a lot of toxicity in our environment through plastics and, you know, new materials and pesticides, herbicides, even though some of those things have helped increase the food supply, they've also been detrimental to um, our bodies because of the toxicity from them. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I've shared a little bit about trying to just lower a toxic toxic burden. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think it's possible to avoid all toxins, right? We've talked about that. Like you just can't, you you even said, even if you're growing your own stuff or, you know, you get eggs from your, from your neighbor down the road who has a farm, you just never know. So it's not like it's going to be a perfect scenario, but occasionally I will have somebody say like, no, even water can be toxic for you. Like there's no such thing as non-toxic products or there's no such, you know, there's no reason to try to limit your toxic burden. And I'm curious what your response would be to that. You just touched on the xenoestrogen and I've I've even had people reach out and say like eating organic is pointless. It's the same thing. They're sprayed the same way, which I actually don't really know anything about. So I would be curious what your guideline is for someone who says, okay, I'm aware that if that, I don't, I want to try to limit my xenoestrogen exposure and lower my toxin burden, even if I can't perfect it. What is your mm-hmm. guideline and, and why, why do you recommend what you would recommend? Can you share that? Yeah. So you said it perfectly. You're right. There is no perfect. But so you can either get exposed to a lot of it or try to limit your exposure, because if you limit your exposure, you try to do organic, you try to not drink out of plastic bottles. Right. So you're is it perfect? No, no. But you're still getting exposure, but the exposure is less. And if you give your body a fighting chance, it will absolutely clear those toxins. But if your five gallon bucket is completely overflowing every day, you're eating fast food, you're eating, drinking out of plastics, you're eating non-organic foods. I mean, the, your high stress lifestyle, your bucket is so full. How you, how do you expect, how do you expect to conceive when your body is on survival mode? It's not on pregnancy mode, it's on survival mode. So if you, eliminate everything of course you know people say well if i don't drink out of plastic bottles am i going to get pregnant no that's not the point the point is is that could be contributing one percent two percent or maybe no percent but at the end of the day the total toxic burden is what you're trying to lower and when you lower that to a certain threshold where your body can keep up to it you will have health if you don't try to do that you will not be healthy and we don't have a choice now because you know 60s and 70s everything was organic now we actually have to seek out these foods that tend to be a little bit cleaner. Now, you can make the argument you've got a conventional farm next door. They're spraying pesticides, herbicides, and the air and the water is going to move it over. But that's still better than directly spray- spraying it on the plant. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, you got to think logically through this. No one is saying that these foods are a thousand times safer. What we're saying is you have to be common sense and you have to lower your toxic burden and, and then let your body give your body a fighting chance with a proper nutrition. And, and then you'll win that battle. But if you, like anything else, stretch your body to the max every day, your butt, your five gallon bucket is overflowing, overflowing. You will be sick. You will feel horrible. Your quality of life will go down. You'll be fatigued and you'll be frustrated because you won't get pregnant. So it absolutely makes a difference on, on, on what you put in your body. There's no doubt about it. And people ask me, well, how long should I detox? Well, the question is simple forever because mm-hmm. you have up with it. So what are the practices that you should do? Well, eating right and all the things we talked about, hydration, infrared sauna, all the things that you should do to maintain keeping that bucket as low as possible. And that's the point. Keep that toxic burden. You said it right at the right, the beginning. It's the total toxic burden that we're trying to lower. We're not going to get to zero, but we don't need to get to zero. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, to think of it as a bucket. I've never really thought about it that visual because I think sometimes there is that misconception of like, do you really think you're going to eliminate all toxins by trying to use safer products? It's like, no. I mean, of course, anything if in used in excess can be bad for you and you have to be realistic about it. But just looking at it like if I have a bucket, I'd rather it be half full than overflowing, right. right? And my body it has the ability and the God designed it so cool yep. to work through that and to and to process the things that we can't avoid um, or minimize. And so anyways, I think that's great. You had mentioned plastic bottles and I'm just curious about this because this is something I've recently been reading a lot more about, but why plastic bottles? I can assume some listeners might be like, why, why wouldn't I drink out of a plastic bottle? I drink out of a plastic bottle every day. What's the concern well, with that? Well, there's a lot of plastics now and they're getting safer and safer. BPAs, these are these are chemicals that are in these plastics. That's, so if you have a bottle and let's say it's not BPA free and you put that bottle in your hot car, that heat is going to transmit some of those toxins in your water and you're drinking that. So there's no doubt that BPAs are estrogenic and that they affect they're going to affect a woman more than they're going to affect a guy, but they'll affect both systems. So that's one of the issues. And then you know, there's a lot of eating debate with these newer plastics. So I always tell people, go back to Mother Nature, go back what's safe, drink out of glass, drink out of stainless steel. You know what I mean? It's safer. Now, is it a little bit more inconvenient? Yeah, you have to filter your water and things. But then again, you spent four years of your life going to school. That's a lot of effort. Why should you put effort into your own health? It's not automatic. And I think some people kind of get a little frustrated. Like, why should I have to do all this? Well, it's like anything else in life. If, if you achieve something, you have to put effort into it. Well, if you want to achieve physical fitness, mental fitness, spiritual fitness, you have to put energy into that every day to do that. Right. Otherwise, it, you're, you're, it, your body's going to be falling apart with all kinds of symptoms and issues. And you can see how many people have chronic diseases. You know, type 2 diabetes is out of control in our country. Mm-hmm. And so that's the best way to look at it is, is you know, there are great water companies that have BPA free. There's uh, companies now that have water in, in milk cartons, mm-hmm. like cardboard cartons, right? So if you still want to feel like, look, you don't want to go filter water, go buy one of those. A little bit more expensive, yes. But at the end of the day, it also saves the environment because cardboard is more recyclable. It breaks down the environment where plastic bottles don't. So that's another reason not to drink as much as you can plastic bottles is because of the burden. Yeah, so interesting. And it's you're you're right on. I mean, there's so many alternatives now. And it just kind of, it's like going back to the basics a little bit, like things have become so Mm -hmm. convenient that I Mm -hmm. think we've just gotten used to like how things are. And that is, it's a mindset shift. And I always try to, I've tried to look at it because I think at first I was like, oh, I've got to do everything. And 
I almost just quit because it was too much at once. And so I focused on, I'm going to focus on food first. And once I feel like that's really good, then I'm going to start focusing yeah. on some of the household products I'm using. And then from there, I'm going to start right. trying to cut back on the BPAs and the plastic. And it's now become a lifestyle shift, but it took really a year. And I think that's the shift, especially because we live in a world that's full of like diet culture and fad diets and this whole thing where it's like a quick fix, right? It's like, oh, how long do I detox? Two week detox, quick celery juice cleanse. And it's like, you have to remove that whole mindset and actually look at it. Like, how can I make one better decision today that I can develop into part of my lifestyle to where it's almost just second, second nature. And I mean, like I said, I've been now working with you for a year and a half. And I think it was last summer. So almost a year ago where I was like, I just realized that I'm just being really restrictive and I cut out gluten, but I was eating all these gluten-free crackers and not actually focusing on nourishing, not actually focusing on, you know, the the lifestyle and the replenishing and the joy of it. And like the actual goal I was working toward, I was focusing on what I wasn't supposed to do. And I said that to you and you were like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why it didn't click in my head because I think we're just so used to this restrictive mindset, this quick fix, this two-week cleanse, and then go back to life as in you as usual, rather than slowly integrating these changes into our life in a way that's sustainable and a lifestyle shift completely and, and kind of a life overhaul, but not necessarily doing it all overnight because then it won't be sustainable. So really helpful. Yeah. Speaking of dietary changes, I have a couple other questions. You mentioned, you know, certain ways to eat and stuff. How can certain dietary changes affect or even improve your gut health? We had talked a little bit about toxins, but just also the types of food that you're eating outside of the toxic side of it. How can that improve gut health? And what is usually your, or what do you say is is the most helpful or best way to improve it when it comes to how we eat? There are certain foods that tend to be more inflammatory and that promote dysbiosis. So, for example, dairy is a, is a challenging one for a lot of people. But even though you may not have an allergic response to dairy, it tends to be tends to promote some of the pathogens in your gut that tend to cause problems. Right. So there's foods that tend to be more promoting for dysbiosis. So that's kind of one of the ways that it really can do it. And so what we try to do is put people not on a diet. We use the term plan, like a food plan, like a complete lifestyle modification. Um, The other thing is, is that plants that are foods that are whole foods tend to be full of micronutrients and those tend to heal the gut. So it's not just about helping the right bacteria grow. Mm -hmm. Then you've got to feed the bacteria, right? And those are called prebiotics. There's certain foods that are full of prebiotics like fiber and small chain fatty acids that promote, because it's one thing about getting the healthy bacteria back in your gut, but how are you going to keep them alive, right? Mm -hmm. How are you going to nourish them? Because if you don't nourish them, they'll die off. And when they die off, you'll get sick again, right? You'll have symptoms again. So it's about prebiotics. So, you know, there's a lot of debate about, you know, should you be a vegan? And, you know, at the end of the day, what I tell people to do is a, a greens, low sugar fruits. I, I, I would say grass fed beef, free range chicken. Those foods are grass fed, has more omega-3 fats in it, and less omega-6 and omega-9s that are grain fed beef is more inflammatory. So that's one of the things that we, we look at. So when you look at that, we, te- we tell people based on their symptoms, like if you, have, if you have PCOS, we try to limit your grains because grains are really inflammatory. Those would be like oats and wheat, uh, especially for women with PCOS. So not every plan fits everybody, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, it's got to be sustainable where they can just say, hey, 
I can do this for the rest of my life. I can still eat healthy and it tastes good and I can maintain this compliance where if you make it so restrictive, they're going to do it for three weeks, feel great. And then they're going to go right back to what they're doing because it's impossible to maintain it. Yeah. It really depends on, on where they start. So, you know, I, I don't really get into fads. I kind of tailor it based on that. But I, I know the foods that tend to be more inflammatory based on people's symptoms. And I try to guide them away from that. And it's baby steps. You know, you know, so, you know, you're not going to do this overnight. You know what I mean? It may take you time to get to that point. But almost every patient in my practice, when they change the way they eat, I would say that's the biggest impact in their health and physiology that makes them feel great. I mean, supplements are all great and fine, but it's really the nutrition, right? And then there's other things that you can do, like repair the lining of the GI tract, L-glutamine, aloe. So there's other micronutrients that can help repair the reabsorptive surface area that's been lost because of chronic inflammation. There's other things you can do to, to correct that. But really, it starts with removing the wrong foods and eating the right foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can attest to just how much that has helped. I mean, I've it's not perfect, you know, like I'll still occasionally have a little acne breakout or something random. Right. But compared to what it was, it's a night and day difference. And yes. it took some time and I had to figure it out and do it slowly. But now looking back at the last 18 months, I'm like, wow, I'm eating so different. I feel so much better. So many things in my body are more balanced. I mean, there was just so many. I remember when we did my initial blood work and you went through some of the stuff that was going on. I was like, oh my gosh, I never would have known this. Like I had no idea that I, there was something with like my mitochondria not working right or something. It's like, wow, like you were so right looking at the cellular level and then starting to make these changes. And when we checked again this past fall, like just to see improvement in different areas, it's so encouraging because it can be a lot of work, but it's work that's, that's worth right. it. You know, it's an investment into your future, into your family, into everything. And yeah, it's just, it's not a quick overnight thing, but it's, it's definitely worth it. So I'm thankful for that guidance mm -hmm. and everything that you've shared and, and do and everything. I mean, I highly recommend everyone work with a functional doctor of some, in some way. Um, yeah. so I know everyone's wondering, I don't want to keep you too long. So I know everyone's wondering how can they learn more if they are interested in working with a functional doctor, where do they get started? This is probably the most common question I get asked, especially right. online. People ask, you know, how do I start working with a functional doctor? How do I find one? What if there's none in my area? So how can mm -hmm. someone get started on this path if they're very new to this, kind of like I was, and don't have someone to refer them? Do you have a recommendation of what to look for, what criteria, if they're looking for a good potential partner when it comes to their health and they're right. not local to Indianapolis? Well, I, I would go to Institute of Functional Medicine. That's, the, that's the, I think, the, a really solid organization that all of us belong to, like doctors from different disciplines. So typically functional medicine, you're board certified in something else. Primary care, in my case, you know, you, you come from different disciplines, emergency medicine, some come from cardiology. And what they want to do is they don't want to lose their traditional way they practice, but they want to open up their minds to so many other ways that they can treat their patients. So they go to the Institute of Functional Medicine, IFM, so it's IFM.org. I would start there. They have great blogs. They have a physician locator that you can put in. Okay, here's my zip code. Show me all the functional medicines that belong. Now, you can be a functional medicine doctor in great doctor that don't that doesn't belong to that organization and you can still be great but that's the starting place right yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's you'll see certain doctors that write a lot go to these organizations because those organizations are legitimate and they tend to 
you know, have the physicians in there that are very knowledgeable. And not only will you get good information about food and diet, and they have all these re- patient resources too, like what's a good food plan for me? And so they could start there and then they can do a physician locator and, and go to the next step. But I would say that's probably the best way to start is, is, is to do that. And the second way is, you know, ask your friends. There's most likely one or two of your friends have gone to an integrative or a functional medicine doctor with a chronic illness or a family member. And I think that's probably the best compliment is if they say, look, they had a good experience there. Most likely you're probably going to have a good experience there. But if you're just don't know anybody and you want to start from scratch, I go to IFM.org and go, go that route first. I just pulled it up. It's super interesting guys. This is really helpful. Definitely a great resource. I mean, it lets you pull up functional, functional practitioners, like within 150 miles of you, within 50 miles of you, you can set the radius. So that's awesome. Um, and then lastly, where can everyone find the work that you're doing? How can they learn more even just through social media or if they are somewhat local or in the, you know, in a drivable distance and would be interested in working with you? How can they find out more about your practice? So they can go to our website, integrativemla.com. So integrative, the word, and then mla.com. They can call the office at 1-800-538-5513. And I would encourage them to, you know, look at our website. We've got some good resources on there. Um, They can schedule online. And then our front office uh, people are awesome. Courtney, you basically call, make an appointment. She'll send you our intake questionnaire. Because what we like to do is get all your data before I see you. So I know so much about you during our first visit. Mm-hmm. I'll spend two to two and a half hours with you during your first visit, construct a timeline, and then make a very detailed action plan for you. And then we'll actually send that action plan to you, which has theory and then steps to it. So there's really no mystery. You can just enjoy being there, relax, and not have to write notes and stuff, because mm-hmm. I will basically organize everything for you. And I think that's probably been the biggest feedback we've had from our patients is, you know, you go see your physician and, and you have a great experience, but then you can't remember what they say, you don't necessarily always get, you know, a detailed roadmap. And that's one of the things that we do. We give you, and every time you come in, I reread your action plan. So I'm always fresh in my mind. And then we do action plan follows up where Dr. Amick will, uh, another physician that's here with me, a medical personnel, excuse me, that's with me, um, will actually go through the action plan with you so you understand it. So there's a lot of touch points in our practice that helps people navigate their journey because it's not easy, right? It's not a magic bullet and you're going to feel better. There's going to be lifestyle changes, way you eat, maybe the way stress reduction. There's going to be a lot of things that we're going to attack because in order to get you better, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to get you better. And that's, it might be doing seven or eight things in a parallel path and you might feel a little overwhelmed, but you'll always have information and direction and guidelines to help get you there. Yeah, that's awesome. You guys, if you are local to the Indy area, I highly recommend it. Um, has been life-changing for me and now also for my husband in many ways too, just being a part of this process and finding the the nutrients and getting him tested and everything. It's just been so, um, just I think, game-changing for us as a family. And I think it's going to be huge for us going forward as we build our family. So if you're in the area, recommend it. If you're not in the area or don't have the ability to come for an initial consult, then recommend that website. That's super helpful. Dr. Pablo, thanks again for your time and for everything that you've shared here for being on. You're such a blessing. And I know that you've got, you've now blessed our community too, which is just awesome. So, so, so thankful and um, just really appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you and uh, I'm glad that I've met patients like you because, you, you know, you make us better because, you know, you're, you want to know. And that's what I love doing. I love teaching. I love patients that are incredibly inquisitive. I'd 
love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.